In this episode of Sage Advice, we have Bikuni Chandavashuti, known as Venerable Chanda, the pioneering nun blazing a trail for women monastics by striving to establish the Anukampa Project, a monastery for fully ordained nuns in the United Kingdom. Those who previously listened to Venerable Chanda's story in this previous episode of Treasure Mountain will know that she has a lot of grit to practice in challenging circumstances and now to lead the way to establish a community of practice and eventually a monastery in the UK. One quality that she's demonstrated in large measure is resilience, and she joins us today for this episode of Sage Advice to discuss the topic of resilience and determination. How are you this day? Hi, Saul. I'm good, thank you. We'll get straight into it. From a perspective of the Buddhist spiritual path, where does resilience fit into the picture and why do we need resilience? Yeah, so I guess I think of resilience as something like an aspect of patience. And the Buddha said that patience or kanti is the highest austerity. It's one of the highest spiritual qualities on the path. So I think of resilience as the kind of quality that enables us to keep on coming back again and again to what's important, coming back again and again to align ourselves with the practice, with the path, and never to give up. So I guess one aspect of resilience as well could be being resourced, because I think to be patient and to have the kind of resilience and determination to keep going, we have to make sure we're not running dry And one of the ways I practice uh, staying resourced is to practice the Brahma Viharas. So to make the practice of loving kindness a part of my everyday um, meditation, whether I do a meditation solely on loving kindness to recharge or to send kindness to myself or my body if I'm tired, or whether I just practice metta for five minutes before I go to sleep or five minutes when I wake up in the morning. This really helps to um, resource the mind and also the heart. Um, Similarly, the practice of compassion. You know, compassion is a sort of uh, a variation on loving kindness. It's in the sense the way love meets suffering, the way love responds to suffering. So if you are suffering, if you're struggling in any way, which I do regularly with uh, the responsibilities that I hold, um, then compassion is a really wise and sensitive response. Compassion doesn't deny that there's suffering, that there's a struggle. Maybe there's anxiety or even despair. It actually connects us to that suffering, but then asks the question, how can I care for this? Yeah, Not how can I make this go away, but how can I actually open my heart in order to include this in my experience without pushing it away? That's a beautiful answer. Um, I know it's, uh, well, I guess go back and I think about when I started my path of practice three decades ago, barely out of high school, I read about the Bodhisattva sitting beneath the Bodhi tree, vowing not to get up from that mm-hmm. spot until their bones turned to dust or attained awakening. And <laughs> I felt inspired to follow that example. But let's just say 
it did work out so well. And I <laughs> discovered I didn't have one jot of the determination of the Bodhisattva. So <laughs> could you advise us, perhaps and maybe extending what you said previously, how would us mere mortals develop resilience and determination? Okay. Well, first of all, all of us are mere mortals. And even the Buddha was a mere mortal, actually, in the beginning. You know, even the Buddha had to die. But of course, he probably approached the path with a little bit more wisdom than us. And perhaps he'd been practicing, obviously, for many, many lives. We never know with ourselves. But I do think we have to be, we have to find a balance between being gentle, but being persistent. So I like the idea of gentle persistence as um a form of resilience and determination as well. So I think, I mean, I have practiced in the past with something called aditana, which is like a strong determination. It's one of the paramis that were taught in later Buddhism. Um, <clears throat> and the way that would work for me was to determine to sit still for an hour. And I would do this in the context of quite intensive retreats. So it wasn't too much of a stretch. It was a little bit of a stretch. But with that, you have to be careful not to overdo it. So always maintaining that mind of compassion. So if your legs are, say, aching or you actually feel you're doing some physical damage, move, you know, move beforehand and move with a lot of mindfulness and care. Um, I do think there's a place for that kind of determination. It might be something, you know, smaller than that. It might be just I determine to at least take 10 minutes of each day to practice, you know, to go to a quiet place in my house or in a room where I can close the door or even just outside on a park bench if you live in a warm country or it's not pouring with rain and just take, you know, a little bit of time for yourself to go inside. So that can be a kind of commitment, a kind of determination. And um, one really lovely analogy that I like that's uh, found in the Buddhist texts, and I'm not sure where this is, it's the idea of putting drops in a jar so the analogy is that you have these huge jars or, say, water tanks, and you don't see uh, how high the water level is in those tanks or in those jars. But you just put in drops, and you know that so not longer there's, there's no leak in that tank, drop by drop, the jar gets full. And I think it's the same with our practice in everyday life. You know, We don't have to do great things. We don't have to sit for an hour. We certainly don't have to sit until our bones turn to dust and our blood runs dry you know I don't know anybody who's done that <laughs> not even the Buddha did that <laughs> he came out of that delusion pretty quickly thank goodness that's why we have a Buddha uh, so but we can make a determination just to never give up just to use our minds in wholesome ways whenever we get a moment whenever you realize you know that the mind has gone off track and it started thinking in ways that are harming yourself or harming others just remember, okay, there's another way to look at this. You know, I can have thoughts of loving kindness or I can have thoughts of compassion towards myself at this moment. Maybe at this moment I can also look at that person's good qualities and, and rejoice in those, the practice of mudita, yeah? Mm. Or, or just remaining equanimous, understanding this too will pass. So these are all ways that we can be um, determined and, and develop resilience and that attitude of never giving up. So I'm hearing from you is that when it comes to developing determination, it, it's like don't stretch yourself too far too soon, but build it up little by little mm. perhaps. Mm. Start with something that's maybe stretches you a little bit, you know, not too much. Yeah. Um, but then also use a lot of softness, a lot of mm -hmm. kindness, compassion uh, to not 
to make it a, a, a even a fun or a, yeah. at least a, a bearable kind of uh, practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to use the compassion and the gentleness in your way of handling your experience, but also to see if you can align your motivation with loving kindness, with gentleness, and with letting go. These are the three right intentions, the second factor of the Eightfold Path. And in a way, that's not just how we relate to the world, but it's where we're coming from. It's our motivation for practice. So check before you sit. Am I sitting because I feel I should, because I'm bad, because I need to improve? You know, I need to transcend this terrible self that I can't stand. (laughs) <laughs> or, I mean, that's one extreme, right? But it's but some people approach the practice that Oh, yeah, way. been there, been there. Been there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this can come in with anybody, no matter how experienced practitioners we are. Um, or, on the other hand, we can practice because we know it's for our benefit. We know it's for the greater good. And we come to it with an attitude of loving kindness. One of the perceptions I really love, which um, is inspired by Ajahn Brown, my teacher, is to come to the practice and regard it as a gift. So we're not coming to meditation with the uh, question about what can we get? What can I get from this? Is this meditation going to make me feel better? You know, maybe I'm going to get enlightened. I'm going to get deep samadhi. But let me practice as a gift. You know, let me really give of my time, give of my kindness, give of my care to this moment. Even give this moment to the Buddha, you know, give this half hour or however long you have, this five minutes, this one minute to the Buddha, you know, just to connect with the idea that there are enlightened beings in this world and that the Buddha was enlightened, fully enlightened and gave this path to us. You know, this Mm. is my gift to the Buddha, I'm going to just sit here quietly um, and do his bidding. Thank you very much. That's very good advice. Um, but for the final question, and I'm going to save the hard one for last, <coughs> this is all, all very good advice um, and anyone can do this day to day, but there are times uh, where everything seems to be going wrong, everything's forced, but all the weight of the world is mm. on our shoulders mm. And we just feel like I can't keep going on. Yeah. You know, what wisdom can we keep in mind at that that time when we hit rock bottom? Mm. No, we've got the intention. We want to keep on going and doing the right thing, but we we just feel like we can't. We just feel like. What do we do then? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, first of all, is to know that this is just a feeling, this is just a thought. Um, not to push that away because it's very real to you at that time. But at that time, I think is not the time to struggle, not the time to push on. So this kind of happened to me actually last year on my Reigns retreat after two years of um, the pandemic and a lot of isolation, a long period of complete solitude, which had by now turned into a sense of isolation. So it no longer felt healthy for me. And I was on retreat on my own in the middle of nowhere, basically, in a little um, B&B because we hadn't got our vihara anymore. And I was doing my best to meditate, sometimes feeling quite peaceful and resourced. But from time to time, I'd get this sinking feeling of despair. And I developed something that I now call the quicksand meditation. (laughs) Again, I think I heard this analogy in one of Ajahn's talks, but I developed it into a kind of meditation where I would just sit feeling crushed, feeling hopeless, feeling like I'd hit rock bottom, 
you know, the depths of despair. And I would just sit there and say, okay, I just give up. I just let go. I'm in quicksand. I'm sinking. And if I struggle, I'm going to sink further and quicker. So I'm just going to give up the struggle. Because the way that you overcome quicksand is to just relax. You know, if you relax, then you don't keep digging yourself in deeper. So I would just, in a sense, open the sphere of my awareness to include all those feelings and just sit there and say, okay, over to you. In a sense, I guess it was a perception as well of handing over my practice to my teachers, to the Buddha. I give up, you take over. I just relax here in this quicksand. <laughs> and that's the only way I can survive. So I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> that's maybe uh, one thing you can do in your meditation. Um, but I guess another tip for you know those feelings in your daily life are just to try to remember that this too will pass and to really care for yourself in that moment with whatever it is that you need. Sometimes it can just be a very good deep sleep maybe, you know, some time off work, maybe two weeks of deep sleep, <laughs> you know, just to really let yourself relax. I know that not everybody has the opportunity, but um, see if you can really take time out and look after yourself rather than, you know, beating yourself up over it. True, true. And it does sound like maybe this is when we hit that point, this is the point where we've got this opportunity to really let go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And and potentially that could be uh, could teach us something of great value. I I'm, I just remember the story of the um, enlightened nun in the Terry Garda. I, I can't remember her name. Uh, she was she her practice was just pure frustration and oh, got yeah. getting nowhere. And she was going to she's that's it. I I've done with this life. I'm going to finish it. And she was climbing up a tree. She was going to hang herself from the tree. And that was the point at which she she broke through. Yes. What what do you think was going on there? <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's a very great um, thing to, yeah, a story to bring up here in this context and definitely not advised for, <laughs> <laughs> for anyone here. But um, it's an analogy, isn't it, of how desperate things can get before something in us wakes up, you know. And I think for me, I guess I can relate it to my practice at various times where I have been winding myself or tying myself up in knots. And I've been feeling like the weight of suffering and just feeling like so much despair. And suddenly I realize that I'm tightening around that. I'm believing in that. I'm basically um, creating a very solid sense of self. And at that moment, sometimes I can remember compassion you know, just be kind to this experience. And I've had the experience where in an instant things can shift and it can mm. change from, you know, immense suffering to a feeling almost of bliss, mm. just from that slight change of perception, that slight change in our attitude, in the way we relate to the world inside. So that really, could be what happened to her. I, and I really like what you just said. It's like there's some part of it as can under a maybe under a pressure situation can just wake up, and it's it's like that sense of where our ego is trying to control everything, and it can't, and it, and it just gets as you said wound up, wound up, wound up. But there might be some part of us which just kind of can yeah. wake up at that moment and just let go. Exactly, I think that's true, and I think what often happens is, like you say, the ego can't do it, and we realize that. And if at that moment you know, you've been practicing meditation, you've been conditioning yourself with the teachings, you've been hearing the Buddha's words, sometimes they can come up just when you need them, and everything can change. So, you know, 
we're conditioned in so many different ways and it's quite natural that we're going to wind ourselves, tie ourselves up into knots. You know, that's the way society works, isn't it? It pushes us to our absolute limits to try to squeeze as much juice and economic value out of us that it can. So it's bound to happen, you know, that this happens internally as well. But if we are, you know, this is where daily practice comes in. If we take the time out every day to practice, if we read the Buddhist teachings, if we listen to Dhamma talks, then that conditioning is also going on inside us. It's kind of, it's accumulating and it's starting to change the direction of our minds, the conditioning of our minds. And so when we most need it, those things can actually come up. Um, and if they don't for a while, just don't despair. Try not to despair. Things change. Um, I had the most difficult year of my life last year. It was really, really tough. I did hit rock bottom. I wasn't sure if I could continue in the robes. And without being a bikuni, my life honestly has very little meaning um, because this is a vehicle that I really believe is the most efficient to take me all the way to escaping from samsara. So it was a really tough year and I didn't really see a way ahead. And yet things have drastically changed already just by, you know, a change in life circumstance, a change in conditions. And again, being immersed in the teachings, being around other practitioners. Um, so our fortunes can change. Well, thank you, Venerable Chanda, for that very valuable sage advice. And thanks for being a guest on our show today. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Take care. It's been really great having Aya Chandra on the show this past two weeks. Remember, we've got links to her project, A New Kampa Project, in the uh, show notes below. Uh, go along to that website, find out more about the project and support it. It's a really great project. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and let others know about the Treasure Man podcast and help to grow uh, the word that we're trying to get out there. Next week, we've got a really, really excellent guest. It's Aya Santusica coming all the way from Northern California. Uh, she's been had a very, very different path into becoming a nun. And uh, I really feel that she was someone who was really strongly guided by faith. I really enjoyed the interview with Aya Santusica. I hope you can join us next week on Treasure Mountain Podcast as we seek for the treasure within.